The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, U.S. Gamers' official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cap Bailey, and joining me today, a couple of guests who haven't been on the show in quite a while. First, our editor-at-large, Jazz Rignall. Hello there. And our writer, or staff writer, Mike Williams. Hey, folks, how are you doing? Smooth jazz with Mike Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get that a lot, Jazz? No, surprisingly, <laughs> not, not, not that often. <laughs> the funny thing is that when I was working with you at GamePro, I always called you Julian, and I knew that your nickname was Jazz, but here it's just Jazz, so... Yeah, I tend to use Jazz for, for my as my writing name, so it's just kind of, you know, because I'm doing far more writing than I was doing at GamePro. Um, you know, the, the Jazz moniker seems to have stuck again. I've gone back to being Jazz. Yeah, it was like when I was living in Japan, I always went by Catherine, because it was just easier for my students to go with Catherine than um, Kato, I suppose. Mm. Um, and also, I was like, that's more professional, and I'm an adult now or something. But I preferred Cat for my writing name, and then the next thing I knew, it became my byline, and it stuck. So I was like, well, it's snappier anyway, whatever. Three word nicknames, uh, three nicknames are nice and easy to remember. Exactly. So I have you guys on the show today because we recently completed a list, an ongoing series, the best 15 games since 2000, in which is pretty much as it says on the tin, we picked the best 15 games since 2000. We have a number of RPGs on that list, as you might expect, and one of them is World of Warcraft, which both of you guys have played. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, its impact, your origin story, and also kind of what the future holds for the for for Blizzard's long-running MMORPG. And then after that, Bob's going to come on the show, and we're going to talk a little bit about Dark Souls and Persona 4, and maybe some of the RPGs that might have made the list but did not. But... Let's get started with World of Warcraft. Um, I'm kind of curious, what is your origin story with the game? So why don't we start with you, Jazz? My origin story with uh, World of Warcraft, that, that's a, a day one morning. Actually, I took the day off to, to, to go down to Best Buy to get my copy of World of Warcraft. I'd, I'd seen kind of beta... Um, of it for for a little while and and I and I didn't want to spoil it for myself so I stopped playing almost immediately and just just wanted to just play the full retail version so I went out on day one and was fortunate enough to the the, the, the launch actually worked for me I got I got a good few hours of play before the servers bogged down and started <laughs> playing up but um but yeah I started off as a night elf and rolled a hunter. And I think I got to level six on the first day, which was pretty good going back then. You know, the, the leveling up was far, far slower. Um, but it was just pretty much a revelation because at, at the time, the only games that I played prior to that MMO-wise were Asheron's Call and EverQuest, both of which were kind of really kind of grindy, old-school MMOs. Um, you know, the kind of first-generation MMOs. 
and um, World of Warcraft just felt like you know a, a full generation ahead. It was just so much more, so much slicker. The sort of you know you had um, people with question exclamation marks over their head to tell you to talk to them and things like that. You know it was all these like little neat little features that made the game that much easier to play. Um, you know it was just 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 felt really exciting and new and it, there's just nothing quite like that since really the sort of the, the, that feeling of a, of, of a really exciting new MMO I don't know if you had the same sort of feeling as, as I did when you first started playing it Mike um, I, I actually um, was unlike you I, I love betas I love betas I love alphas I like seeing things from the beginning so I played WoW uh, during beta, um, I think I played human uh, through pretty much all of the beta that I was a part of, and then I went and bought it. Uh, I I actually didn't remember buying it on that first day, but then I I I, I keep all my receipts in the game box, so inside the WoW box I found the receipt where I bought it from Target, um, because that was. Um, what was open uh, when I decided it was time to buy WoW. So, um, and then I, I think I played a human again uh, just because I, I was used to Goldshire, and then I think I stuck with the Night Elf for quite a while um, on my, uh, my early days. But, I, I mean, at least for me, uh, I had played EverQuest, I had played uh, Ashram's Call, uh, both as well because uh, that sort of hit during the time that I was in college so that was like the first time because uh, uh, a lot of people who were in college around the same time as me probably remember this jump from uh, having dial up to actually moving to to ethernet like actually really good internet so uh, I jumped in in college to like EverQuest and all those other grindy harder oh god so much harder uh, <laughs> uh, MMOs um, but wow I had my roommate we both went out and picked it up and uh, that was just a ton of fun because not only uh, was I playing it and it was a lot easier and smoother than some of those MMOs but I also had a friend like right there with me playing it so yeah. So, and then uh, I, at some point, I forget why we switched over to Horde, which is where I've pretty much stayed for most of my time until I think Mist of Pandaria, uh, where I started all the way from level one again just to see what the game was like. It's kind of funny to hear you guys talk about uh, WoW being, you know, kind of the next generation MMORPG back in 2004 and, and, and it definitely was I mean the, it introduced kind of that horde alliance dynamic if I recall correctly and it just smoothed things out quite a bit in a way that Blizzard always does but I mean today compared to today like people look back on world launch World of Warcraft and they see it almost as kind of this old school experience that you have like people deliberately go back to a wow circa 2004 on like their own custom servers because they're like i want that old school flavor it's it's quite amazing how much things have changed in the past 10 years or so 
Yeah, the way that you managed your inventory, the way that you went to dungeons and things like that, that's all very old school. But, you know, at the time it was, compared to the, the first generation of games, which were really hard. I mean, Ashland's Call in particular, which I put a huge amount of time into, I probably played that for about three and a half years. And, you know, leveling up just took forever and it was a real old school grind you know you'd just be standing in a dungeon waiting for enemies to spawn you'd shoot them and then just sit there again and wait for them to respawn you know and that that was that was the leveling experience largely and you know i mean i just there's no way i could do that these days but back then I, you know that's what you had to do so that's what you did to level up yeah and, you know just 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 grinding against Lugians in a Lugian dungeon somewhere. And, um, you know, all playing all night, just doing the same same basic things. In uh, fact, you know, at one point, I remember there was, you know, you could uh, download kind of... They weren't exactly bots, but they, they, they automatically played large parts of the game for you. And that was just great. You could sit on your, uh, your keyboard you know, occasionally administrating to your character while it automatically kind of shot spawns of, of, of monsters. Uh, and you just sit there chatting to people. And it was this sort of weird social thing where you were sort of talking to people and um, and kind of levelling up at the same time. Yeah, and, and there's some... Uh, I mean, while it's older school, but there's some older concepts that... Like, I remember playing EverQuest, and, and, and back in the day, there was this concept of the train, which uh, yeah. most people don't realize anymore. Because in EverQuest, once you aggroed a monster, that monster would follow you until you reached a zone boundary, because EverQuest had specific zones. So, like, once you, you hit the zone wall, you would go into another zone. But if a monster, like, tagged you, it would just keep chasing you. Uh, whereas WoW added the the tether, where uh, a, a monster will chase you for a while, but at at a certain point it'll be like, ah, this is too much work, and go back to its original start point. Um, but even then, like WoW right now, um, like when I play, I play mostly solo now. Uh, getting into a five man dungeon is is so so much easier, and people miss the vanilla WoW. Hey let's yell out that you want to uh do this five-man dungeon then you got to find five people then you got to get to the summoning stone and summon everybody uh like a lot of people don't realize i mean there's a certain amount of nostalgia for that and yes there's a, a certain amount of community building in those aspects but like doing a five-man dungeon back in the day was a pure like 40 30 to 40 minutes before you could even start the dungeon. Whereas now I click and I'm in because I'm a tank. So yeah, the, it should be noted that world of Warcraft really did a lot to smooth out the MMORPG experience, even in the course of like the next 10 years or so that it was out. I mean, stuff like dungeon finders have become essentially well, like essentials in MMORPGs. People get really mad if that stuff isn't in there. So it's one example of how uh, World of Warcraft kind of continued to innovate even long after it had been out. And it kind of speaks to its staying power as well. Yeah, it's funny because, I mean, it, it's a kind of a push-pull thing, though, because 
you know, back in the day when you did need to, it was far more social because you needed to talk to people to get into a dungeon and, and arrange things. And a guild was really important, but, you know, a large guild of people so that you could actually spam your guild and, and ask people for help and whether or not you know, they could do a dungeon with you. Um, these days you don't don't really need any of that. You just, just queue up and, you, in fact, you don't even really need to talk to anybody. You just sort of go into a dungeon and everyone just runs through it. Um, you know, and so you've lost a lot of that social aspect of the game, which I think was really, you know, sort of around the sort of 2006, 2007 mark was incredibly rich. You know, we're, I remember being part of a very large guild and, you know, the guild would meet up and outside of the game and, you know, it, it was people would make you know, really good friends and I think that, that that sort of aspect of the game seems to have been lost somewhat, at least it certainly seems to have been from, from my perspective my guild fell apart and I haven't really needed to, to join another guild since then because of all the game's conveniences, so it's so it's, it's sort of, it's gained convenience for sure, but it's definitely lost the social aspect and I, I think that's something that people really miss as, as part of, kind of the new world yeah, and that that is true. Uh, uh, like I play solo, and at this point, like I, I can do uh, five mans with little issue. Like actually knowing people, I remember that. And there is that push and pull because a lot of what people don't remember uh, is yes, there was a social aspect in some of those older like Burning Crusade. But if you weren't a part of that at all if you were bad at it if you had if your guild just imploded or something like that you were pretty much out for that expansion like there was not much you could do to progress past a certain point and blizzard i guess uh, uh assumed that they wanted everyone to be able to progress and yes that is the problem uh that now you can experience all of that f alone for the most part um like they even have raid finder now um but you don't really make many lasting connections and i and i think the problem that wow has now uh especially if you look at warlords is that what what they'll have is a bunch of people who will spike uh when the the thing comes out and will subscribe for maybe like 2 months see all the content in the expansion and then they leave because uh, these people have lives, so they're treating WoW not as a, a continuous experience uh, week to week, month to month, year to year. They're treating it like a boxed copy of a game. They buy it, they see all the content, and then they go away until the next thing comes out. Yeah, World of, uh, Wrath of the Lich King was really the big dividing line from what I can see, because that was the point where Blizzard was kind of like, well... Yeah, Burning Crusade was great and everything, but, like, they said something on the order of, like, 5% of the people actually got all the way to the end of that uh, to fight uh, Illidan, I think yeah. it was. And they were like, we, 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 we don't think that's healthy for our game, so we're going to make it so that pretty much everybody can get to the end and actually see the Lich King and all that. I think, and it was at that point, maybe World of Warcraft ceased to be in the minds of some people, a world and became instead a, a video game to be beaten, which uh, some people find that unfortunate. Other people, 
Um, I might say myself included because I am actually fond of the Warcraft lore. Like, I kind of do actually want to see all that. But it does take away from the accomplishment of doing something that's so rare in this game. And it takes away that feeling of, I am diving into the deepest dungeons and seeing scaling the highest cliffs to battle these incredible monsters that are just ridiculously strong and my my guild and I managed to beat them and that's not something that most people have been able to do yeah and I think uh, of the current crop of MMOs uh, Wildstar was a little bit on the harder side and I, I think probably uh, FF14 has the most uh, solid balance wherein there is a very strong plot and as a solo player there's a lot of stuff to get through and it's uh, pretty. Yeah, no, it's pretty as hell. Uh, it's that is really pretty. <laughs> that is currently the the gold standard in looks. Uh, and and sorry guys, my Heaven Sword uh, review is coming this week. Um, but it, it, there is still a tier above where you're not if you're playing by yourself and you don't have a guild and you don't have a group that you roll with, you are just not seeing certain stuff. Uh, but. It- at the same time, like World of Warcraft, I think persisted for a long time because it it just had the advantage of having been around for so long and having such an entrenched community and having so much content, so much to do. Even by Wrath of the Lich King, there was just an insane amount of stuff to find. And a lot of people eventually got to the end and then started to drift away. And they started, and many of them moved on to MOBAs like League of Legends, which was also on this list. And and you could argue that World of Warcraft began its decline after Cataclysm. But all of these so-called WoW killers um, from, I don't know, like, it's like name one, basically. Lord of the Rings Online, which was a fine MMORPG, uh, or Terra, or... or Star Wars The Old Republic, like, they were all fine MMOs in their own right, and in some ways improved on the World of Warcraft experience. But World of Warcraft just, at the end of the day, had an insane amount of things to do in these games. Like, you ran out of content, and these games could not keep up. Like, the content wasn't there at launch, and people quickly went got bored and went, well, back to WoW. Yeah, and, and WoW still has that problem, um... Like, I think another issue is that uh, World First Clears, which used to be, like, a big thing, and it took a while. Like, Burning Crusade, uh, it took a while for people to really get in there, and and, and the Lich King and uh, Wrath of the Lich King. But since then, World First Clears, I mean, most of the guilds that are doing them are very, very good at what they do, and there's only so many uh, mechanics that you can throw into a boss fight uh, so World First Clears are coming now in like like a couple weeks, which is much quicker. So I I, I, th- I think I don't think this is something Blizzard can win against. Is what I'm saying. No, I mean it's, it's, I mean some of those World First Clears. I mean those guys spend all day every day doing it over and over again, like some sort of military outfit. I mean it's it's the sort of precision and coordination when you watch videos of them playing. It is unbelievable the sort of the level of the game 
that they're essentially playing at is, is, is absolutely incredible. And there's no way you can really... I mean, it's very difficult to cater for that kind of audience and while at the same time keep, keep the same sort of mechanics there for, for the casual audience that, you know, that, that caters for a group of... essentially a pickup group of people. And so you sort of... I mean, I think they do an incredible job, all things considered, that the same kind of content manages to appeal from, you know, the most casual of players coming in on a Sunday and kind of just playing maybe playing a pickup raid and that same raid scales all the way up to something that that, that, that manages to even for a couple of weeks keep keep the guild occupied that, that really is operating with incredible precision and coordination there's one thing that wow was always really good at and was something that was especially lost in the early mmorpgs um, one of the reasons star wars galaxies never really took off in the way that people were expecting, I feel, was because it was so complex and so crazy that it just turned off the kind of people who would want to play a Star Wars MMORPG. Whereas World of Warcraft, especially by the time you got to Cataclysm, when it introduced the, the pet battles, like gave you so many different ways to play. And a lot of the times just going and doing like the hardcore raids wasn't necessarily the end game. There were people who just enjoyed hang, hanging out in this world with their friends. There were people who did insane things like, what's another way to level up all the way to the level cap by just like collecting things and not they, actually fighting somebody? I think they added that in Cataclysm. They added experience for, for gathering uh, all of your, your different professions. And so there was somebody who uh, leveled to cap no, it was Mists. Uh, he leveled the cap um, purely through gathering uh, herbs. It was such just this vast world that there were people who, like they introduced that character Harrison Smith, which was just a goofy character, but he added like that element. Uh, he added an element of fun to the to the story, and he highlighted just like all of the things that there were to find and do in that world. Um, the world itself was a character. It truly felt like this vast place that you could spend a lot of time just exploring, and a lot of people did. And then there are people uh, uh, even beyond that, like Jazz, who uh, we haven't really talked about, but uh, PvP. I'm not a PvP person. Jazz was, uh, and so yeah. R is. Just about to say, you know, the, the, the PvP side of the game is... is you know, it's very strong. And actually, that's probably where most of my social interactions come from now, is, is, is <laughs> the, 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 the people that I play with on a, on a team, you know, I kind of talk to them more regularly. Not at the moment, because they're not playing the game, but I still talk to them outside of the game. Um, the way you put that made it sound like you just like you don't ever come out of the house. Your social interactions are via <laughs> PvP. Most, that to be perfectly honest, most of them are these days. I mean, I, I, my my game friends, uh, I see them more than my real life friends. It's it's it's, it's what a terrible indictment of my. U.S. gamer life. doesn't let us. U.S. gamer doesn't let us out of the house, people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are dedicated players. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know. Playing PvP, there's a you know a huge side of the game there. You know, it, I think it has been a little left to its own devices. 
Blizzard hasn't really added that much. I mean, they added Ashran in this expansion, which has just been one long nightmare for them. It just hasn't worked very well. And, um, you know, they've been working on I think they've finally got it into some kind of shape where it works reasonably well now, but it's just not very popular. And really, they kind of... Uh, they should have really added a couple of new battlegrounds um, to... to to the roster, um, rather than this really kind of big new zone, PvP zone, but uh, they, they took a risk and it, and it and it failed, as far as I'm concerned. But people still PvP, you know, it's it, it's it's a very fun aspect of the game. Arenas are really good, kind of um, very very high level of skill. Some of the people that play arenas are incredibly good at the game, and um, yeah, I, I love it. That's my favourite aspect of the game. How do you? Been. How do you feel about the changes coming in Legion, uh, sort of uh, limiting the uh, gear disparity issue? I think that's a good thing, ultimately. I mean, there's, you know, PvP at the moment is all about the gear. You just grind for gear, basically, and, you know, that's sort of partly what why I'm not playing at the moment, is because I just, this season, I just didn't fancy doing that again. I've just done it for years, you know, sort of play a season of PvP, about halfway through the season, get all of the gear, start a new character, and, 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 and start grinding again. Um, now they're adding new skills and making it more more of a skill-based um, game than, than, than a gear-based game, and that, I think that's going to be really, really good, because that way, you know, it's it's all about your ability as a player, and you can kind of come in and not get completely smashed by somebody wearing all of the, the, the best gear, you know, you, you'll stand more of a chance if, if, if you're skillful at the game, and that's definitely a good thing as far as I'm concerned. That's Trying to get that esports money. Yeah. <laughs> that's RPGs for you, right? I mean, it's, it goes back to the competitive RPGs have always been like, well, I mean, the point of an RPG is to get enough gear to be able to beat the big monster at the end or whatever. And then when you try to do that competitively, I mean, gear disparity is a thing, so you have to try and balance it out. So I, I sort of... I see what you're saying uh, when it comes to emphasizing skill more, but a lot of the fun of uh, MMORPG PvP is being able to find that special gear that can optimize your stats in such a way that you can have an advantage over somebody else like being able to use your brain in that regard um that was at least that was certainly the case for me in star trek online yeah there was definitely a a a need for skill but you also but the the other the flip side of that was being able to get a hold of the right gear and optimize your ship yeah, the problem they were running into is the the disparity between uh, beginning season gear in PvP uh, and and end of season uh, was so vast that it wasn't even like there was no amount of skill that would give you the win. So people would go into battle, see, oh, those guys have X amount of gear. We're not going to win this fight, and and that was it. Mm, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, it's definitely fun. I mean, I, you know, I, sort of a couple of years ago, there, there was a point where the I think the, the gear disparity was kind of at its peak. And, you know, as a priest, I, I would be wearing all my, my top-end PvP gear. 
and I'd be running around with like five or six people all hacking at me, and they just weren't doing any damage to me at all, which was, you know, a lot of fun <laughs> for me in this sort of invisible, invincible priest just doing this crazy stuff. Uh, but but for other people, it was just immensely frustrating because you just knew that, you know, you could get in five of your best shots one after the other, and then I just press one button and heal myself all the way up to the top again, and you know. It, just impossible to beat so so you know that that just to me it's 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 a really poor way to have a game set up where you know if you if you grind for the for the best gear you know you should definitely have some sort of advantage but it shouldn't be to to, to the point that it makes you almost invincible so i suppose that this is a really big question but what has made world of warcraft like so great like what is what has made it stick in the way that it has jazz you can you can take this one first <laughs> yeah i'm just thinking i mean i think ultimately it's the just the co- continual refinement that's gone into the game and the continual content you know i mean blizzard has worked tirelessly throughout the, the game's history to to continually improve the game, you know. Although a lot of people say that Blizzard doesn't listen to everybody, I mean it's impossible to listen to everybody. But I think they do listen to they do listen to their user base, and they do try. There's a certain honesty about what they try and do. They really do try and um, set the game up for 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 the sort of the, the common base of people, the sort of you know the average player. And I think. You know, they they listen to their average players and make it a game that does appeal to everybody or as much as it can do. And of course, you know, they, they have a lot of crazy hardcore players that they also have to cater to. And uh, you know, I think they just do a really really good job in making the game appeal to that broad audience, which is, I think, an incredibly challenging thing to do. I mean, we were talking about it just now. You know, the sort of the difference between the Sunday afternoon player who plays for a couple of hours a week and the hardcore player who's on, you know, 12 hours a day. And there are people that are on 12 hours a day, you know, logging on and off and constantly doing things. And, you know, to, to, to be able to create a game that appeals to that broad of an audience is, is just incredible. And the wealth of content that the game now has is just mind-blowing, you know, um, a lot of it that you kind of miss now. If you if you start a new character and you level up, you'll you'll, you'll miss a lot of the old vanilla stuff um, because you can now level up so quickly. But there's just a huge amount of content in that game, and that, that you can kind of go and enjoy. You can level up, get to top level, and then go back and and if you if you particularly if you decide to kind of go after achievements, the game has just a mind-blowing amount of achievements and things that you can actually do and, and things that you can collect and get. And, uh, you know, it's, I think that, that combination of broad appeal and just, you know, it's, it's an incredible theme park of things to do makes it such a great game. And there's just nothing else like it. Nothing, n- nothing even comes close. It also had werewolf with top hats. Werewolves <laughs> with top hats. Uh, for me, I found that that WoW has sort of, uh, at least early on, it was a, a timing thing. Uh, just the type of game that came out uh, or 
around the other much harder MMOs, uh, and it was more friendly. But I, I feel that I've I've probably evolved with WoW, and WoW has evolved with me, um, because as I, I played vanilla WoW, and I wasn't really into stuff, and then Burning Crusade came out, and then I got into to raiding. I was raiding on a regular basis. Then there was Wrath of the Lich King, and I was sort of falling out of raiding. And then Cataclysm was a fresh coat of paint on the old world. So I got to jump back into the lore a little bit more. And then that continued with uh, Mists and Warlords, where I, I can play. Like, they've added enough stuff that I can play solo, since I don't have that group. So, at least for me, I feel that WoW has always been right where I'm at um, gameplay-wise. Uh, being someone who plays PvE most of the time. So, uh, when I was out of uh, guilds and I didn't have a five-man, wow, they added uh, Dungeon Finder. Uh, when I couldn't do raids anymore, they added Raid Finder. They've changed how their storytelling works, so there's a lot more focus on a single player now. So it's it's a game that is, uh, I, like, do they have cameras here? Are they watching me? They're like, this is what Mike needs for this expansion. So, <laughs> like, they added the, the, the new artifact weapons. I'm like, yes, I, I want that because I would never be one of those people that gets the, the nice purple weapons uh, from all of the raids. This is as close as I get. Thank you, Blizzard. You know, I never, I never really had a chance to experience WoW as it was happening because when it came out, I was in college and I was poor and I could not afford the the monthly subscription fee. Um, like this was the point where I'm like buying, you know, thirty cent ramen uh, for dinner every day. So fifteen dollars a month was just ridiculous. But I and then I moved to Japan. So it wasn't easy to get into WoW from there either. So by the time I got back, it was 2009 and Wrath of the Lich King was just... And Wrath of the Lich King had just come out and things had changed a lot and I didn't have a great computer, et cetera, et cetera, on the li- down the line. So I missed out on a large chunk of the WoW experience, but there was no denying its impact and there was no denying the hold that it had on the mainstream consciousness down to probably the best South Park episode ever made, which was the the World of Warcraft episode. That was just unbelievably good. Um, but I, I do like the fact that if I ever want to, I have insanely gigantic RPG sitting there waiting for me to play. This massive world to play through, all these quests, all of these storylines... And it's a bit messy, and it doesn't always fit well together um, in the way that it flows. But, I mean, that's okay, because it's still a phenomenally well-crafted game that, like, has all of this content that could not... uh, that has just appeared over the past ten years. Um, And before we wrap up, I wanted to read a comment from one of our users. His name's Kaiser Warrior, and he left a really terrific and I, I thought he, he really encapsulated like what made WoW great back in the day. He said that he he moved on from WoW after Wrath of the Lich King because he didn't agree with where the game was being taken, but he said, quote, 
When I loved WoW, I loved WoW. I'd never seen anything like it, and I will never see anything like it again. You can never go home again, and you can never experience MMOs for the very first time again either. The sense of awe and wonder, of exploring a whole new world full of mystery and magic, of being a completely unique character with a story and a personality that comes through in how you play them. These things simply can't happen anymore once you've become a veteran of MMOs and you've settled into the groove of reducing these games to their mechanics and systems. It stops being about weaving spells and starts about being about calculating optimal rotations and planning your next five GCDs. It stops being about contemplating the somber duty of killing young night sabers to control their popularity growth and population growth and starts being about the dread of the upcoming level grind. It stops being about wandering around the world, taking in all of the music and the neat little details and just stopping to look out over that moonlit valley as a haunting zone theme rolls over you and starts being about sitting in the dungeon finder queue so you can hurry up and get to the level cap so the real game can start. It stops being about your night elf priest being a tailor because she likes to sew and starts being about working on your crafting for the end game enchants or upgrades you can get out of it. You can never go home again. You will never be again be as innocent and naive as you were when you fell in love with the game, when you could love it just because of the opportunity it represented. But you'll never forget those days. They'll always stick with you. WoW is one of the very few games I can say those things about, even if I no longer care for it. And I think that right there kind of encapsulates why it's one of the best games ever made. Hit that one right on the head. Perfect. Absolutely. Welcome back, and joining me now is our senior writer, Bob Mackey. Hello, everybody. And we just got done talking about the impact of World of Warcraft, but we had a couple of other RPGs on this list of best 15 games since 2000. And one of them, which is the number one game on our list, is one that's near and dear to your heart, Bob, which is Dark Souls. Oh, for sure. Both of us ended up picking that game as our number one. And I'm kind of curious, like, <laughs> what what got you to put the uh, Dark Souls at the top of the list? Well, uh, before I start, I think that we both reviewed it for different publications uh, when it came out. So I think that had a lot to do with our own experience with the game, mm, especially yeah, I... at a time when um, it was not as accepted as this important thing. People just kind of dismissed it. But uh I mean, you can go and read the article if you want, and I, I encourage you to read the article, uh, but I really feel that Dark Souls, more, more than anything, not just in terms of RPGs, really changed the way games could be made mm-hmm. for the better. Um, just like I, like I said in my article, like I, before Dark Souls, I would play games out of obligation. I would play games under, with the understanding that, like, yes, I have to suffer through these certain things because they're just part of playing video games, like these tutorials and all this other crap I hate. But then Dark Souls showed up and Demon Souls before that and said, you know, no, you don't have to do this anymore. It's fine. Like, we trust you. We, we can trust you again. And you can trust us now. And that's basically why I made it my game of the uh, last 15 years. Did you play Demon Souls? Oh, yeah. I played and finished it before uh, Dark Souls. I find it interesting that Demon Souls, and maybe a little, un- a little unfair that Demon Souls has kind of fallen to the wayside in some ways. I think so too, but as I said in an article I wrote today, um, I think it's less of a, ca- a case as who did it uh, 
first. It's more of a case as who did it better. And I feel like Demon Souls might have done it first, but I think Dark Souls really brought everything to that next level and it made it accessible to more than just people playing things on a PS3. So I think that's why ultimately uh, Dark Souls is the is the more important game. Yeah, because Dark Souls streamlined things a little bit aside from the, the open world, like when it came to health and that kind of thing, right? Right. And I mean, this might be controversial, but I actually I actually like the Dark Souls 2 experience uh, more than the first game. Mm-hmm. Not by much, but I still think it's a better overall experience. And, and it's like the same step up from Demon Souls uh, to Dark Souls as from Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2. Like every time they just make things better, make things more intuitive. Um, and I guess the biggest... The biggest flaw with Dark Souls is the awful uh, server system that they use, which they've never gone back to, thank God. But that really just cuts into the uh, the co-op possibilities. But outside of that, it really is, I think, like the most important game in the series. I I had often said that Dark Souls was my game of the generation, and and part of that was just it encapsulated a lot of the positive trends. In much the same way that, or in, in making kind of the opposite of a lot of other games that came out that kind of encapsulated the worst aspects of the generation. I, I would throw Assassin's Creed, for example, um, as a game that really embodied the cynicism of the previous generation. Sorry, Mike. I, I, <laughs> I know you're like silently weeping somewhere, but when it came to Dark Souls, it, I mean, first of all, the, what it did with online, and yes, it borrowed, it, it was picking up where Demon Souls left off, but at the time, in, in 2011, it was just really striking the way that it used the kind of always on aspect to make you feel like at once alone, but also like you would see the spirits fighting around you, you would, you would have the blood stains on the ground. You'd have the messages being left that could either help or hurt you. And so, and then of course, the fact that it had its own kind of variant and dynamic difficulty where it was like, I can't beat this boss. This boss is impossible. I am now going to call in somebody and we're going to beat that boss together now that I've kind of mastered the, uh, kind of, kind of gotten the hang of its, uh, of its pattern a little bit. I'm going to be able to take it out. So, I mean, like Dark Souls has been hashed over so many times that in some ways it's it's hard to speak on it without being cliche. But in terms of the combat, which is some of the most impactful combat I've ever seen in a video game, the the atmosphere, which was... I mean, it was dark, it was moody, it was often very scary. Uh, the, the encounter design, the world design, uh, it was just, it was a class above a lot of games that came out. And people were, would harp on stuff like the frame rate drops that were happening, uh, in places like Blight Town. And I always kind of thought, well, certainly that was something to consider, but, I often thought to what Roger Ebert said in his little book of reviewing games. It's like, don't harp on like the, you know, like if you see the boom mic dropping into the frame, <laughs> don't harp on that in your review. It's like, it doesn't necessarily matter in the grand scheme of things if the game, if the movie itself is really phenomenal. And I would say 
that was more or less the case with Dark Souls. So. Yeah, and like I said in my in my little piece, uh, being there at the time and seeing how angry the game made people like my peers, not to call anyone out or like to say I was I right, liked I that. liked it first. It was I, great to see like me giving the game an A and then being surrounded by people that are like, no one could possibly like this game. It's How could you ever like this game? And just like, no, you just have to understand what it's trying to do. We are spoiled, and that is the that was the biggest problem with the reception towards that game. Like, we were so spoiled in 2011, and I think some of us still are, who mm. play these games that aren't trying to change things or aren't trying to kind of adopt the Dark Souls philosophy. But people just really had to get over the fact that they weren't going to be spoiled anymore, and a lot of people just couldn't. And they couldn't accept that game would not treat them with the same kid gloves as they were used to for maybe five or seven years. Yeah, there is a real anger that Dark Souls moved away from these accepted conventions of how a game was supposed to work. And I, I found, I've always found that really interesting that when something gets away from the conventional wisdom, like people just like, it can't be good. It can't be good because it, it's deviated away from this like really polished and smooth experience. And I'm like, uh, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that was the case. It's like, there's no there's no mocap in Dark Souls. There's no lip sync for the characters. They just bob their heads like they're in Metal Gear Solid. Like those details are not important to the game. So they just don't think about them. And that's why I kind of have a soft spot for those games. Even in Bloodborne, there's no lip sync on characters speaking. It's just like they looked at that element and were like, we could spend time doing this, or we could spend time working on part of the game that actually matters. So that's that's what I feel is from strongest uh, point. They know what matters. Yeah. The only. Um... And, and and the thing with Dark Souls was that it wasn't like this cheap-looking game. It was a really good-looking game. Oh, yeah, it's gorgeous, I think. Yeah, it was a gorgeous game in terms of art design, uh, the scale of its bosses. Its bosses were terrifying um, and powerful and had all had the effect of making you feel incredibly insignificant. And, you know, had detachable uh, limbs and that kind of thing that you could, like, hack off. And every, pretty much every one of them, even, like, the first boss battle, felt like just this epic encounter, right? In a way that I haven't necessarily felt in other games. I mean, not to harp on other games, but, like, <laughs> I play, like, I, I'm so sick of a lot of shooters. Like, I actually asked... Jeremy to not put me on kind of the shooter beat this year because the the design is so rote and these these quote unquote set pieces that are supposed to be like really exciting really epic like they don't make me feel anything like I'll be like yeah yeah okay now I'm like sliding down a building <laughs> and there are some explosions going on yeah whatever yeah it looks fine but there's no danger to it uh it feels really artificial um I'm going down a big tunnel, whereas Dark Souls has set pieces on a kind of a similar scale, even if you're alone, and that's the boss battles. And those boss battles are freaking terrifying. They are. I mean, they remind me of uh, Shadow of the Colossus, actually, in that they present you with this giant, horrible creature, and you're like, I have to fight this, and you're not even sure if you can do it, like... Few games make me doubt myself like that. Like, I really have to do this. Okay, well, I'm just going to see what works here. And that's that's what I love about the game so much. It, it's not afraid to, like, take you out of your comfort zone, really. I think the thing that, when I think about Dark Souls now, and, you know, it's such a love fest, but 
I think the best movies, and it's not really comparable to a movie, but the, the very best movies are challenging movies. And they may not always be, quote unquote, entertaining in the traditional sense, but they are powerful in their own way. And I would say that Dark Souls is challenging in a way that's more than just its difficulty. Like it really pushes you to your limits in terms of gaming. Um, and, and it, it's obviously struck a chord, right? I mean, four years, four years after its release, you could say, you could ar- argue that it's more popular than ever. Uh, it's, its community is bigger than ever. It, it, it came at a time where it was perfectly positioned to take advantage of streaming and YouTube and like the insane, uh, YouTube community. But also like just the fact that there, uh, and, and the game itself has evolved as well. It's got, it had a couple of really good pieces of, D- of DLC, if I recall correctly. It, it just had the one. And even though it recycled an area, uh, by sort of like making you revisit that area in the past, it's still like one of the best areas in the game. Like the boss fights, uh, what they do with the changes. It's so great. Yeah. And it, uh, like the PC community, like, is in the case of many of the best communities were able to uh, go through and kind of like smooth out the, the rougher technical areas and make for a more playable experience. And my understanding is that there are quite a few really good mods out there for it now. Oh, yeah. I mean, like if you have the PC version, the uh, the DS fix mod is a must because you can run it at 60 frames per second, whatever resolution you want. You can change the UI. You can just basically do whatever you want with that mod. And if you're doing it on the PC and God, I wish they would just do a remastered version of that game. Um, you really need that mod for sure. For sure. Yeah. Now, here's the interesting thing. I think right now. So I'm playing Bloodborne right now. I have gotten to the part where I'm. At old, is it Yarnum? Old Yarnum? Old Yarnum. Is it the guy with the uh, chain gun? Uh, I'm about to head down there. Okay, that's old Yarnum. Yep. Yeah, because uh, I just unlocked it. Um, and so I, like, I've been using the guide, so I'm not particularly interested in fighting, um, uh, the boss that I, I guess is really tough to take down if you're not, if you're under leveled. So mm, that could be the Bloodstarved Beast. No, no, Bloodstarved Beast is the one I'm going after. Okay, cl- uh, cleric beast, or cleric no, beast no, 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 the, <laughs> the first one, Amelia, the yeah, the, the reindeer werewolf thing, yeah. <laughs> I love the. I, I gotta say, I love the boss design. They're great. The, I mean, games. it's hard to even tell what they are when they're moving, which is a really cool uh, idea. But I, I might be enjoying Bloodborne more than I enjoyed Dark Souls, just in terms of I find the combat a lot smoother. Um, and it, because I can't hide behind my shield, it tests me a lot more and yeah. it doesn't feel quite as, uh, choppy. It is a much more immediate game. Uh, mm-hmm. at the same time though, it gives you fewer ways to play through it. Like there are other builds, but if you want to have fun in the game, you want a strength build character because the game is kind of designed around playing with that kind of character so that's that's one of the downsides like with dark souls you could do sorcery you could do pyromancy you could be like a thief you could be a ninja you could be a huge warrior with those vihander 
but that with Bloodborne, me. yeah, <laughs> with Bloodborne, everyone is basically using the same weapons and is kind of playing the same way. But it's still a fun experience, regardless. I mean, I I love it. It's one of my top games of this year. Maybe my, might be my top game of this year. I'm not sure yet, but I'm playing through it again now because uh, it's an awesome game. There's nothing better to do. You know, I need to go back and revisit the original Dark Souls because it's been about four years since I played the original and finished it, and it was one of the more stressful experiences I've ever had reviewing a game because I had to get through this game. Here's and... my uh, pro tip. I actually didn't finish the game, but I reviewed it, so uh-huh. my review's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, I stand by it, but it was like... That was when 1UP was four people, and I don't think Jeremy, my boss at the time then, was going to give me a month to play Dark Souls. <laughs> so yeah. I had to play as much as I could. But And also, um, we didn't yeah. have the community, and we didn't have uh, guides or anything. Like They just dumped us in and said, okay, go. Yeah, pretty much. That The Dark Souls review experience is not ideal, but it is also fun to be on your own and have no wikis or people to turn to, just left to your own devices. Uh, before we wrap things up, I'm just curious because I I wrote about this in my um in my write up of the game, but no one really commented on it. I think Dark Souls helped undo the the pretty unfair narrative at the time where it was like um and I think I brought this up on past shows or maybe Retronauts where it was like oh Japan made video games once, but now they're mm-hmm. kind of sad and cute and they isn't it cute how they still think they can make games? Aw, I'm gonna go play Skyrim instead. Like this really patronizing attitude. But I think from software was like, no, Japan has always been good. They've always been making great games, and here's another one. It just it's just the same kind of like hand wringing we have over JRPGs, like, oh, JRPGs are going away. Oh no, they're never gonna come back. But if you look at the 3DS, there's like five JRPGs on in a month, and like we're fine. Everything's cool. I mean, I I know we need to write think pieces, but just settle down for a minute. I think there were two things at play at that time. One, a lot of the best. Japanese games had moved over to the Nintendo DS um, and the PSP. So they weren't as much in the public eye. So maybe uh, journalists who weren't as invested in those platforms did not see the big AAA RPGs and or the big AAA Japanese games in the same way that they used to and went, oh, well, obviously the Japanese don't know how to make games anymore or something yeah. because they're not making games like Call of Duty or something. Um, and the other thing was the fact that from software of all development houses went the made the best game of the past 15 years is really weird. Yeah. And unexpected because from software before Dark Souls, they made Armored Core, right? Yeah. And, and uh, Kingsfield. And Kingsfield. Well, Kingsfield it certainly has its supporters. I know Jason Wilson, who's been on the show, uh, actually prefers Kingsfield to Dark Souls. Wow, that's that's really saying something. I I, th- I need to talk to him about that. Yeah, well, I mean, this is Jason we're talking about. <laughs> that is true. Sorry, it's, Jason. <laughs> it's a, it's a pure D and D experience, maybe. He's a but... he is a purist, but they made Armored Core, right? And right. Armored Core was, l- let's be honest. I mean, it has its fans. I liked it during the PS2 era. Not the greatest games. Um, no, often obtuse, kind of ugly. I just uh, did a Retronauts on this, one of their games called Echo Knight, and like in that episode, I was reminiscing about how every game magazine hated From Software games. Like every From Software game was just given the the worst, lowest rating. Like no one wanted to play them. They were just like this weird company that no one could quite understand what they were doing for the longest time. They had a really bad reputation. Yeah, and then 
they turn around and make Demon's Souls. And I think it's partly because of From Software that so many people just wrote off Demon's Souls entirely and just did not pick it up. And then, of course, Demon's Souls had such great word of mouth that that was what propelled Dark Souls uh, into kind of the, the public eye. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> made it one of the biggest releases of that fall. Even Sony wrote it off. They're like, uh, we don't want to publish this in America, even though we paid for it, so uh, someone else can have it. I think the thing that people forget is that Demon's Souls, it, it did really well, comparatively speaking. Like, I think Atlas was expecting a couple thousand copies to be sold, and were just utterly shocked when, like, a few hundred thousand got sold. And they were like, oh my god, like, this is ridiculous. We're making so much extra money off this game. Like, that we weren't expecting at all. And then that triggered the bidding war, which it, the series went to Bandai Namco, and then I thought, oh, that's weird that this is being treated as a AAA series, given that it only sold, like, it, it did not sell in the millions when it was, uh, Demon Souls did not sell in the millions, but but then Dark Souls, uh, you know, it ended up breaking uh, a million worldwide, and then it, it, it was undeniably a success and continues yeah. to be a success. And thank God, I, the one thing that I was really worried about with the series and with Bloodborne was that it would begin to kind of experience the entropy that a lot of AAA franchises begin to experience after multiple entries. Uh, but that doesn't seem to have been the case. No, I mean, it's not annual, which is good. And I believe uh, the director of, these, of most of the games, uh, Miyazaki... It's basically that, annual um, at this point. What's that? It's basically annual. I mean, Dark Souls yeah. isn't, but I mean, we had Dark Souls 2 in 20, what, 14? And then we have Bloodborne this year, Dark Souls 3 next year. It kind of is, but not really. And the thing is, like, um, they said, they, they expressed a the desire that Dark Souls 3 will be the last, like, fantasy game they do with the Dark Souls formula. Like, they want to do sci-fi or other things like that. And, and I'm really excited about what they do with those uh, genres because, like, I'm not even a fan of fantasy, but I love Dark Souls. So I can't imagine that, like, what would happen if they did, they did, they did a, um, a Dark Souls game with, like, ninjas or robots or something like that. I, I'd be really interested sci-fi in seeing that. Sci-fi Dark Souls. I think it, it's... It speaks to the degree of difficulty in making a really good Dark Souls experience that you haven't seen a bunch of clones of it. No, I mean, there is uh, Lords of the Fallen, I think it was called. God, I yeah. <laughs> whatever that game was called that uh, I couldn't review because my PS4 exploded. Um, it's it's admirable, but it's clear that like to make a Dark Souls game, you need something more than just to be setting out to make a copy of a Dark Souls game. You need... You need you need the talent of from software really and and I mean uh, Lords of the Fallen expressed a knowledge of what made Dark Souls great but I don't think they had the time to really m- make it stand up against Dark Souls. Right. I mean, we talk a lot about all of the really neat things that Dark Souls does, but it's built on this incredibly strong foundation of really 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 good world design. Really, 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 really good combat design, excellent enemy design, excellent boss design. And that takes a certain amount of A, effort, and B, talent that, I mean, a lot of development houses like might not actually consider it worth putting forward given that while Bloodborne ultimately did very well and is arguably right now the most important console exclusive, at least until... I don't know, Halo 5 comes out. Um, 
I, I do think it's funny though that uh they do things so against tradition where any other game series would be like in the sequel you get to revisit this kingdom and meet your old friends and do this and that when dark souls 2 came out they're like we don't know if it takes place in the same area you figure it out it's like they don't care about that part of the industry and i love them for that you can go back and meet the cat yeah. uh, it's I, a different cat and praising the sun <laughs> Woo! yeah there are those little touches but it's just like even within the realm of a fantasy RPG, they're not resting on their laurels. They're not pandering. They want to make something different and interesting every time. Yeah, it was one, that's, that's the thing. It's like Dark Souls, despite the fact that its story has always been really limited, like it's also a pretty rich and interesting world for the most part. Yeah, I mean, it's limited. It's like what's front facing is limited, I think. Like mm-hmm. it, there's actually more thought put into it than I would that's say most. That's what I was going to say. Oh, okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to. Uh... You're stealing my my thunder bomb. I'm over-caffeinated today. That's the problem. Like, cat's not finishing her sentence fast enough. (laughs) I'll do it. I, yeah, I was going to say that the, 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 the story is presented in dribs and drabs in, in the dialogue, but in really interesting ways that kind of makes you want to learn more. And it's spooky. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, like, that's the same reason I like, uh, walking simulators, that genre, or like environmental puzzle games, whatever you want to call them. It's that, like, you're just dropped off in this world with no explanation, and you have to figure out why you're even there. Like, the premise of Dark Souls 2 is, like, you don't know why you're here. Kill things, and maybe we'll tell you. Like, it's even more of a mystery in that game than in Dark Souls 1, where you're, you're set up with, like, a prophecy, and you're told what to do. Dark Souls 2, it's like, yeah, you don't know why you're here. You're just here, so figure it out. And I love it for that. Yeah, I think it's pretty apparent that it is one of the, the most intricately constructed and interesting games ever made. So that's why we picked it as number one. Looking at the rest of the list, uh, we picked Persona 4 Golden um, as kind of, we put in that in the top five. And we were kind of acknowledging that that's been the best JRPG of the past 15 years. Um, do you feel like there are any JRPGs that might have been left out or RPGs in general? I think, I mean, did we neglect uh, any Dragon Quest games in our list? I think we did. Jeremy nominated Dragon Quest Nine. Yeah, I would put that up there. I, I feel like that was probably the best executed Dragon Quest. It was a really interesting game. And I actually, I think that it maybe just missed the cut. Yeah, it, it came pretty close. But if if I had to th- think of like a surefire, like, of course, let's put this on here, it would be that game from the past 15 years. Like... Even things like Fallout 3 and New Vegas and stuff I like a lot, but um, Dragon Quest Nine I was just addicted to, and, and being portable helped with that for sure. Yeah, talking about the the Elder Scrolls games, I I really I was really tempted to nominate Skyrim because it was such it's such an amazing big world, but and and it certainly has staying power and it's certainly been impactful, but. I think that Bethesda has always had trouble with kind of following through on its ambition. And ultimately, Skyrim's story, much like Fallout 3's story, isn't super great. Like, I mean, that's not really the thing. Like, exploring the world is the thing. But stuff like forcing you to choose a side, for example, choosing between the Empire and the Rebels, or the Nords, I suppose I should say, like, always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And they're are people out there who really despise um, Skyrim for for that kind of design. So I, 
Like, I feel like that probably might have deserved to have been on the list, but it, it's tough. Yeah, I mean, I I probably get crucified for saying this, but like, I played Fallout Three and I loved it. I played New Vegas and I loved it. And then I sat down with Skyrim and I was like, oh, it's like it's the same kind of RPG for another hundred hours. I think I'm okay. I think I'm good. Like, it's I can kind of. It is pretty, and I love the setting and stuff. But it's just like I've I've done this before. Like I've done mm-hmm. a lot of this, and it, I mean, I know they improved the engine, but it still was very much of that formula. And for some reason. I don't get tired of the Dark Souls formula where I was just a little bit tired of that kind of Oblivion-style first-person RPG, sure. even though I still am ready for Fallout 4. I think it's time for another another go-round. Yeah, I'm ready for Fallout 4. I, I didn't care for Fallout 3. Like, I guess the post-apocalyptic wasteland doesn't really do anything for me, though I suppose, like, I will enjoy Fallout 4. Uh, I thought Fallout New Vegas was miles better than Fallout 3. But I think so too. But I, I think people seem to remember Fallout Three as being a bad game because of Fallout it's, Vegas, it's and not, it's not it's really not a bad game. Yeah. It's just the story wasn't as good, like Skyrim. Like Fallout New Vegas had a much better story. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I just feel like I mean, and I think Fallout New Vegas had some uh, like people more knowledgeable about Fallout uh, working on it. Correct? That was Obsidian. Yeah, because yeah. they. They weren't the original people who were working on it, but they were planning on actually making a sequel. They were going to make the original Fallout 3, and then that never happened because they, like, Interplay was having trouble and Black Rocks, uh, Black Isle Studios got shut down and everything. Yeah. So it was impressive to see them just have another Fallout two years later, and it be it be that good. I mean, it re- I mean, it's buggy as hell. I assume it still is, but just two years later, getting another huge experience like that was great. And uh, maybe I'd lean close to putting New Vegas on the list. I'm not sure. I'd have to. I'd have to play a little bit of it again and see if I'm right about what I liked about it. I just want to clarify that the our our process for creating this list was that we ended up nominating something like 50 games, and we we voted down until we had 10, and then after we had 10, we each put one game that we felt had to be on the list on on there. Um, I picked League of Legends because I'm just struck by the way that it has changed it, 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 the way that it's so well designed that it has taken over esports and people were mad about that. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It codified MOBAs. You know? Yeah. It, no, it I agree with MOBAs that. I, I what totally it is agree. today and that's not it's not just an impact thing. Like, if it weren't a good MOBA, it wouldn't have done that. Like, it came out, and not only did it come out and popularize MOBAs in the way that it did, it's had some real staying power. And it is one of the few instances of a free-to-play game that I can think of that's not evil. So, <laughs> I felt pretty good not about yet. putting that game on there. I felt like it had to be on there. What about you, Bob? What was yours? Uh, The one that I chose personally? or Yeah. Uh... Did you put Kanamari on there? I did. I had to make sure we included that because yeah. I feel like we all forget how great and important and just amazing that game was because of how sequelized it was after its initial, you know, start. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was one that just like, God, I, I remember playing that game and um, I'm not I'm not so <laughs> I'm a little cynical, but that was the last time I think I just sat down when the game was like, oh, this is going to change everything. Like games are games are great. Games are different. And then and then like, I guess. 
that didn't ha- follow through as much. But I mean, the indie space has helped. But for a while between Katamari and the beginning of the indie scene, like it was like, well, what's going to happen? I thought things were going to be fun again, but it was a long wait. But I, I just we we couldn't ignore Katamari. It just it's too important. The other game that I the other RPG that I really wished we could have found a way to get onto the list was Knights of the Old Republic. Oh, that's right. I, I, I've I played like fifteen hours of it, but it's been so long and I don't know if it's better or worse than Kotor two. Mm. The Finnish version of Kotor two apparently is really good. The one that was finished by fans. Um Kotor two had a darker story. But I think Knights of the Old Republic deserves a lot of credit for being the first. And I think it's still Bioware's best RPG. Like there was a lot of talk about putting a Mass Effect game on there. Like, Jeremy really wanted to put the original Mass Effect on. I remember he nominated that game. And we were talking about a bit about, like, being able to look past the technical, some of the early technical shortcomings of Dark Souls. That was a game that I felt really was actually really hurt by um, its technical problems from the implementation of the Unreal Engine to... Mass Effect? Yeah, Mass Effect, the okay. original Mass Effect. Uh, yeah, I totally to the agree. way that the, the guns worked. Um, I just it, remember elevators, all those elevators. It, it felt, it was clumsy. Like, there was, there were some really cool things about it. Like, the exploration was awesome. Uh, I thought it had probably the best story out of all of them. And it had a lot of really cool things, like the seamless transition from walking out of your ship into the planets. That made that it feel cool. like you're exploring strange new worlds. You're going places, right? Yeah. But ultimately, like, it, it was a very ambitious, but fairly flawed game. So people gave us a lot of credit. Uh, and, and I reflecting on it, I'm like, Oh, I'm glad we didn't do this. But uh, people gave us a lot of credit for not including like the obvious mega franchises in yeah. this list. So there was no Halo. There was no, um, no Assassin's Creed, no Uncharted, no The Last of Us, no, um, well, we did a Bioshock on there, but I think that works. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that in hindsight. I wasn't even thinking of the, of those games when we were putting lists together. I wasn't like, I wasn't like, let's screw over those AAA games. I hate them yeah. so much. I just was like, those aren't the games I think of when I think of what the top 15 games are. And even, did I mention Halo? That wasn't part of it either, right? There was yeah, no Halo. Yeah, you mentioned Halo. Okay. We, Halo 2 came very close to making the cuts. Um, but it did not. Um, and I think Halo 2 is probably the best of the Halo games. The, the problem with Halo is, the problem with Halo is that it hasn't held up super well, especially not the original Halo. No, um, and I, I think that, like, there's this determination to keep giving us more Halo, but I don't see the demand, and it feels kind of wearying, where it's like, now get ready for the Halo TV series. It's like, well... That would have been nice in 2003, but uh, yeah, I've kind of moved on with my life. One of the reasons I, that I went out of my way to say I want to put the best games rather than the most impactful games was that I didn't want to put Angry Birds on there. I guess so, but it doesn't. that doesn't feel necessarily impactful. It just maybe eh. it was impactful for Rovio, who made billions of dollars, but like <laughs> no one cares about Angry Birds 2. COD 4. Um, yeah, it's Call of Duty 4. Yeah. I, I mean... I actually nominated Call of Duty 4, but that's because I thought Modern Warfare, the original Modern Warfare, was a really great shooter. And there was no denying that it was like a nuclear bomb in terms of, yeah, in terms of the, the AAA kind of thing. But when I thought about it, there were quite a few 
games that I was much more inclined to put on the list. Half-Life 2. Oh, yeah, we great, missed that one. <laughs> great first half. Um, phenomenal, uh, really interesting use of physics initially. No denying its impact in, in the, the, the impact of the Source engine. Or the, was it Source 2? I believe it was Source 2 that but gave I think us physics. Ori- I think the original Half-Life's better. <laughs> and... It- uh, I, it's hard to say. Like they both have aged in strange ways that are forgivable, but make them a little hard to approach uh, today. Like the fact that I mean, like we're we're used to this now, but like the fact that like save scumming is like a fact of life in those games, where yeah. every other FPS would just be like, "Oh, hide behind something and you'll be okay." Where it's like, "No, no, F seven, F five, the entire ride." I think. I I think the thing that I, I feel really good about this list in general. Um, and I think that we were able to kind of cue to just picking games that are, that were really, 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 really just good and have held up and continue to have meaning to this day and haven't faded away. And, um, I, I feel like we're, we've been kind of slagging on, triple a franchises and maybe that's a little unfair because like hundreds upon hundreds of people are putting like working insane hours to make these beautifully crafted worlds um and these great systems and everything but i feel like people mistake polish and attractive graphics for just being a a a great game and i think that there is some division there and I, I think that it's important that critics look deeper. Um, and that's why I felt pretty good about putting Dark Souls on there because I mean, it's an attractive game anyway, but if you just keep going down further and further and further, you find more and more layers of just really phenomenally good design. Yeah, I mean, and, it's a game like four years later, I can go back and play it a way I've never played before, do certain quests a way I haven't done them before, like... It really just—I mean, the whole series in general—but it just supports like like limitless replays. Yeah, I don't want to pick on Uncharted or anything. But <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, I when Uncharted Three came out, I remember was it Simon Parkin uh, gave it an eight for Eurogamer, and people like just kind of lost their their collective shit over it. And he said rightly that it was basically on rails, right? Yeah. And it was a, a beautiful game on rails. And he's not wrong. <laughs> and that has kind of colored my perception of Uncharted 2 and Uncharted 3 and now Uncharted 4. It's like, oh, these are really nice looking games that, you know, are a semi-interactive, uh, a semi-interactive, uh, blockbuster summer movie that I'm not going to deny that the technical like back end is great, but I suppose it it doesn't necessarily impact my sen- uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't really appeal to my sensibilities and maybe putting a game like that on the list is a little like saying, "Yep, The Avengers is the best game ever made." <laughs> Cuz it looks the prettiest. Well, yeah, it's I mean It's the pretty like the special effects were just off the hook. 
I, I will pick on Uncharted because I bought my PS2, uh, sorry, my PS3 with that game bundled in. I'm like, oh boy, it's the game everyone says is changing the generation, a new generation of games. And it's like, oh, it's a shooting gallery. I don't upgrade my character. I don't upgrade my weapons. I don't do anything but shoot things. Okay, well, Devil May Cry is like a deep SRPG compared to Uncharted, and that's <laughs> that's horrible. Uh, it would have been nice to get Bayonetta 2 on there. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. If I could choose any one of those uh, Devil May Cry style games, it'd be that one. Yeah, but I I think um I think it's really telling that even after Sony has gotten out a what a remake of Last of Us, a uh they got a kill a kill zone game out, they got a uh was it God, I can't remember it. The the open world game Infamous, another infamous game out. And, like, they've basically been, like, firing off all of their exclusive in-house franchises, and Bloodborne is far and away the best of them already. Yeah. <laughs> it's and... funny, uh, like, when I got a copy of Bloodborne, it had, a co- it had a, like, a little flyer inside for The Order 1884 oh or whatever that game was called. It's just like, yes, now that, you bought Bud- sorry, now that you've bought Bloodborne, have a worse version of this experience for $60. <laughs> like, why uh... would you bring that game out alongside Bloodborne? It doesn't make... Okay, I'm done. So in any case, yeah. So in any case, go check out our top 15 games since 2000 list. By the time you listen to this podcast, we should have the entire list put together in a nice, easily accessible hub. So you can go find that over on US Gamer. So that's the end of our episode. Bob, where can I find you? Uh, before I start, I just want to apologize for my bird. He's been a little squeaky during this, so I'm going to try to edit some of those out. But if you want to not hear my bird on podcasts, visit US Gamer so I can rent a bigger apartment. <laughs> that's what I have uh, to say. Also, you can find me on uh, Twitter as Bob Servo. I also write for Something Awful, and I do Retronauts, the classic gaming podcast, every week. So go to our site or go to retronauts.com, subscribe to it. You know how podcasts work. Yeah, I wish I could be on the next round of Retronauts that you guys are recording. Very suspicious, cat. You keep going out of town. I know this is this is bad luck, but I'm going to a wedding that weekend. So, what's more important, podcast uh, legacies or one wedding? So, and you had to pick. And I don't want to spoil it, but you guys had to pick. You guys had to do the freaking PSP episode, <laughs> like on the time that I was going to be gone. I have so much to say about the. PSP I know that's bomb. why I invited you. Maybe maybe I'll delay it. But in in any case, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you won't be listening to that podcast until like November. So you'll have forgotten we even talked about it. Or we can just do a PSP episode here on Acts of the Blood God, and then mm. and then we can like. We can uh, promote the Retronauts thing. That could work. And do, like, synergy. The PSP is, like, the secret RPG colossus. Like, no system has more JRPGs than the PSP. Still. They're, they're still coming out. But, Bob, the JRPG has been dead since Final Fantasy VII. All right. I forgot. And then Nino Kuni brought it back. <laughs> Thanks, right. Nino Kuni. Um, and, of course, you can find me at the underscore catbot. Uh, please read our review and rate us over on iTunes and check out US Gamer for our RPG coverage. And, you know, if you have your own thoughts about what the best 15 RPG, or like one of the best RPGs of this generation, drop me a line um, and I will include you in the next mailbag segment. 
if we choose to do one. In any case, for Mike, Jazz, Bob, and myself, I've been Cat Bailey, and we'll see you next time. Happy adventuring. Mm-hmm.